0: enjoyed those songs through the years so much and we were made to reflect upon these songs during the preparation of our lesson so you will see as our lesson goes on what I'm talking about concerning the songs right now let's turn to the book of first Peter and uh, we're getting down to uh, verse 7 It won't hurt us to read the first eight verses. We'll review. Sometimes, even in review, you're going to see something you hadn't seen before, but we'll just read them, and then we'll get into our lesson. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of, uh, of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank (coughs) you this morning that thou hast gathered us together in this place that thou hast given us to worship in. We thank you for the, the privilege and the liberty of being able to read thy word publicly. We also thank you that we can read it privately. And that no matter where we read it, our hearts still rejoice in the fact that it's thy word, and that it's living bread to our own hearts and souls. We pray this morning for each one here that the Lord Jesus Christ will be raised again in their hearts and affections, the same with those who will listen by tape, that thy name will be honored and glorified. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. This is definitely a very rich portion of Scripture that we're in. Actually, we're down to verse 6. We had finished verse 5 last week, and we're with verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We're going to talk about that now for a few moments. Last week, we talked about the keeping power of God. Inwardly, by the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. Turn to 1 John 4, 4 through 6. Just a few pages to your right. 1 John 4, 4 through 6. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you. And he that is in the world, they are of the world, and therefore they speak of the world, and the world hear of them. We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's an interesting statement there because you wonder well, how come you, you, you're critical about other religions? How come you say this or that about somebody else? It's because the Spirit of God gives us that distinction between truth and error, and we hate error. We're always to stand up for the truth of God. Now, that was inwardly the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, and then outwardly the keeping power of God is by God's Word. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verse 17. In Ephesians 6, 17, it says this. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Very clear language. If you want a weapon of offense, it's going to be offensive, all right. I didn't mean it that way. But it is offensive and it's a weapon of offense it's called the Word of God this is our book now stay in the same chapter but let's look at verses 11 through 16 put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness and high places. And boy, you're not kidding. The high places are the big churches, are the big denominations, are the big religions. That's what high places are spiritually. And then Satan is ahead of all of that. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking this shield of faith, wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And in our lesson today, it speaks about our trial of faith. And he says, you just uh, take that shield of faith. So we'll get back to that. Now, another thing, let's see, we're back in First Peter. in our lessons previously, always looking toward that day when our Lord comes back for us. And that's what it means in verse 5, up in verse 5 where it says, Unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We know that salvation is not complete as yet. We know our Lord must come back for his redeemed people. And his redeemed people will then have redeemed bodies, made-over bodies, redemptive bodies. It's called the day of redemption. We'll have new bodies, even those in the grave. When the graves are opened, will have new bodies. Those that are alive and remain will have their bodies changed into the very same type of body that those that are dead in the graves will have. They will rise up together to meet the Lord in the air. We read those scriptures last week. That's old stuff with us. New bodies. No sin. Visual sight of our lovely Redeemer. Now, there's lots of controversy regarding that second coming of Christ. It's hard to imagine anyone using the term or the title of sovereign grace and not rejoicing in our Lord's coming back for his own. We've run into that. We've run into a whole group of people called fundamentalists. They call themselves that. The sovereign grace movement. They never, never talk about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ because they don't believe it. It's strange. And using a name, sovereign grace. And then that's something that's strange too, because you don't have to add sovereign to grace. Grace is sovereign. That's a known fact. Grace only comes from God. Free grace, sure it's free because it's a gift. But sovereign, we know where it comes from. It comes from God, so it has to be sovereign. The very thought to the believer's heart makes him to rejoice. See verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Is that what it says here in Peter? Yes, it says wherein ye greatly rejoice, thinking about him coming again, about the change. Now, practically every scripture that we read concerning the second coming of Christ back for his people, it always mentions comfort, rejoice. They don't rejoice. I don't know why. Let's look at just a couple of them. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. It says, comfort one another with these wonderful things. Look at that. We just got through talking about the Lord coming back. Why does Paul give it to us? He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a wonderful comfort to know the Lord's coming back. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Look into the next chapter. Stay in the same book, verses 8, 8 through 11. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you always do yeah as also ye do. okay, turn to second Thessalonians the next book at chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Now we beseech your brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, and neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He's telling you now the Lord's coming, and some of you have got some worries. you got some fears because somebody wrote you a letter, or somebody's over there preaching in your pulpit telling you that... The day of Christ is already here. You're going to go through the tribulation. Okay, jump down to verses 13, and we'll read from 13 to 17. He says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Row unto he call you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, rather by word or our epistle. Oh, you mean traditions count? Yeah, traditions of Paul, not the church, not a bunch of rules made by men, but by the apostle to the Gentiles. Traditions from Paul's gospel. And now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Here we are again. Comfort your hearts. You've got everlasting consolation. Good hope. Would you have good hope and everlasting consolation if you knew? That the tribulation was just around the corner and that we were going to go through it. No hope there. That's a despair. You say, oh, God could keep us. Yeah, it doesn't tell us that in Revelation. It says that the saints are going to lose their heads. It says that Antichrist is going to overcome them. But that's not our portion for this particular dispensation. Our Lord's going to come back and take that church out. Mysterious, yeah. Never been done before, no, but examples have been. Elijah, taken up in a chariot. Another one in the early uh, Enoch, just taken to be with the Lord bodily. Illustrations. Okay, now there will be a tribulation time in this world. The, The best definition of the tribulation is found in Matthew 24, where our Lord is speaking to the disciples and to people there again, just before the crucifixion, just before Gethsemane. It's Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now there will be an idol in the holy place in Jerusalem in that temple. This is coming. You say there's no temple yet. Oh, it doesn't make any difference. It's coming. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Now listen, here's the definition of the great tribulation. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's mysterious. I can't explain that to you. I've often thought, I wonder if the... Rotation of the earth is going to be speeded up just a little bit to make days shorter. I don't know. Somehow they're going to be shortened for the elect's sake. They're still going to be 24 hours, but they're going to be shortened. Mysterious. It's going to take place. God's people, from this dispensation, right now, from the crucifixion, until the Lord's coming back to take his people out, makes this particular dispensation that has been called the dispensation of grace. It's grace toward Gentiles especially. God's people from this dispensation will not be here to see the tribulation. Got that? No matter what anybody says. The Bible teaches that we're not appointed to wrath, that God's going to take us out. That will be a dispensation of its own, the tribulation. And in this same word of God, though we're gone and not using it, it's still going to be here, and there's instruction in this book for those who will be here during that time. There's also instruction in this book for those who are going to live here in the millennium. This book goes on though generations and dispensations change. God wrote this book for all people of all times. You want to hear something silly? Our sovereign grace people believe that the church, the bride of Christ, his body, is going to go through the tribulation. There has got to be an understanding of the word tribulation just like we explained to you a hundred times the difference in the word world in the scriptures every time the word tribulation is used it doesn't doesn't mean the great tribulation it doesn't mean the time of jacob's trouble this is a peculiar in a particular time why do i say a time of jacob's trouble because that's what the bible calls it turn to jeremiah 30 and look at verse 7 Jeremiah 30 verse 7 Should be somewhere around page 1160 for all of you If you got these big Bibles Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says this Alas, for that day is great So that none is like it That's what our Lord said when he talked about it He said there's never been a day like it since the world began, and there's never going to be a day like it afterward. And this is what it says here in Jeremiah. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what he calls it. It's Israel going to be punished. The world's going to be punished along with them. But it's primarily Jacob's trouble, Israel's tribulation. But he shall be saved out of it. Who God's elect. That's what he taught over there in Matthew. He said for the elect's sake. God's people, back to 1 Peter, the scriptures, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. God's people are always going to have rough going. There's many times when hearts are heavy, and Peter says because of many temptations, through manifold temptations he says all of this because we live in a hostile world that hates god's people you say oh that sounds like such a cover all statement where do you get that i get it from god's word remember john 17:14 let's look at john 17 again somebody has to be reminded that i'm not building this up to make us look like poor persecuted people we are rich persecuted people but you will be hated and you will be persecuted John 17:14. the Lord says I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world Isn't that clear that's why I say we live in a hostile world. The world is full of unreasonable and wicked men, but our God shall keep us from evil. Are you making this up? No. Turn to Second Thessalonians two two. Second <coughs> Thessalonians two two. <coughs> <coughs> Looks like I have the wrong scripture. Uh, three, two. Second Thessalonians, three, two, and three. <laughs> Next chapter. And that we may be de- de- delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. It's what says, Unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Well, we know that, huh? But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil, even though the world is full of unreasonable and wicked men. Now, there are a few things that ring true in the Scriptures that we aren't too anxious to prove look at Romans 8 and verses 17 and 18 Romans 8 17 and 18 it says and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ ears part. now here it is you got to take this with the other if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. But, he's going to add this, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Another scripture very similar to this. Second Timothy 3.12 Now, see, I started out by saying there's a few things in God's Word that we're not too anxious to prove to ourselves. 2 Timothy 3.12, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You say, hey, I haven't suffered nothing. Well, maybe you're not living godly. It does say live godly, doesn't it? The closer you walk with Christ, the more communion you have with him. The more you're going to dislike the world and the more the world's going to dislike you. Suffering and temptations are part of being a Christian. And that's why Peter over here in our book says that though now for a season... If need be, and it does need to be because it says God's people will suffer persecution, so it needs be. So here it says, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is what's great about this. It says that we're going to suffer persecution. Peter says you're going to be in heaviness through manifold temptations. And you're going to say, I don't know if I'm strong enough to, to cut it or not. Well, here's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now think about this. This book was in existence, was loved and cherished in 1555 when many, many, many people were burned at the stake. And they're going over in their hearts and minds with the scriptures, there's no temptation taking you. When they have been dragged out of their homes, their wives and their children have been humiliated, beaten, and tortured in front of them. If they would just say that they do not believe in Christ. They're taken to the stake and humiliated publicly and burned to death. Now this happened to people. You say, oh, that sounds so far." It's in Fox's Book of Martyrs. He gives their names. He gives the names of their wives and their children. Somebody recorded all of that. It says here that there's no temptation taking you, but these people died holding the promises of God more precious. See, these weren't the people that were in the book of Hebrews. These were additional ones that were burned. <coughs> How did God make a way to escape? I'm not sure. I know many of them never felt the flames, but many of them had heartache. Many of them had the heaviness of seeing their wives ravished and their families destroyed right in front of them by those who talked about the church and the religion. Strange, isn't it? To invite people to come and suffer with you? Come be an outcast. Come be a follower of one whom the world hates. And so the world will hate you. That's what we're doing when we preach to people. That's what we're inviting them to. So what have you got to offer? Well, how about eternal life with a new body for starters? That's what's offered in the preaching. God says, I'll give you eternal life. Does Peter say that? Sure. Look at chapter 5, verse 10, 1 Peter. Chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's a good scripture. Same book. Next page to your left. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of. On your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Can you imagine? Can you imagine linking a busybody with a murderer? Boy, God has some interesting comparisons in here huh let none of you suffer as a murderer let none of you suffer as a busybody you know god's thoughts are not our thoughts and our thoughts aren't his i'm just reading what's in this book and yet if any man suffer as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god on his on this behalf For the time is coming that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him, and well-doing is unto a faithful creator. Okay, there's our answer to those that were burned at the stake. <clears throat> they committed their souls unto him as one that would keep them well. Now, 1 Peter again, verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, There's a record kept called the trial of your faith. Gold can't purchase faith. That's in verse 18. And gold can't buy it or take it away. It's precious to the believer because it's a gift from God. And we know that from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. And it's precious to Christ for his people are precious to him. Where does it say that? Well, chapter 2 and verse 4. In First Peter here, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. At the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, it's the end of verse 7. It says, It's more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now our Lord will be glorified in His saints, and He will be admired in all them when He appears. Where's that? Well, it's in Second Thessalonians 1:10. Turn over there a second. Second Thessalonians 1:10 is an amazing scripture. I would never, never make a statement like this if it wasn't written in God's Word and God gave it to us to make. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back, it says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. You know, that's amazing. This is the perfect imputation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine him being glorified in us? I can see being glorified in him. But him being glorified in us, and then it says to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You're a believer. This is amazing scripture. The trial of your faith. We're in 1 Peter verse 7. If you have scripture back there, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than a gold that perishes. Have you ever been to court? It's frightening, even if you're just there as a witness. But to be a defendant, for you to be on trial. We know our faith to be weak. And Satan knows our faith to be weak. <coughs> And Satan is the chief prosecutor of the universe I guess you didn't know that did you he's the one instead of like the lawyers that we have today trying to get the bad guys off Satan is the chief prosecutor trying to get the good guys back our Lord Jesus Christ is our lawyer he's our law keeper He's our go-between, our advocate with the Father. Our faith is on trial. It's what it says, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Satan says, this person doesn't have any faith of his own. Our Lord, our Lord says, you're right. I gave him mine. Yeah, but this person doesn't keep the law. I know, says the Lord, I kept it for him. But this person keeps stumbling and falling. He's a sinner. He thinks by asking forgiveness every day that he'll be forgiven. I know, says the Lord, I hear him. And he knows that I'm faithful and just to forgive. 1 John 1, 9. Yeah, but this person can't even get his own family saved. And he tries to talk to others about salvation. That's very true, and it's because I taught him in my word, Romans 9, verses 16 and 18. What is that? You can turn there, but I'll just go on reading while you turn. Our Time's running out. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And verse 18, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. He learned his lesson well I also taught him in first 1 Corinthians 121 that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe it doesn't make any difference who I save what counts is that you preach and God's people will be saved Well, I've watched him close, and he doesn't pray as much as he should. He doesn't read very long at a time, and he's always critical about other people's religion. He's not happy or satisfied with anything in this world. And you know what? He even listens to country music. Now, I suggest to the court that this person be sent to hell forever because your word says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I rest my case. Now our Lord takes the floor. And as our Lord takes the floor, he says, Satan, I know you will not rest this case or any other case in which my beloved people are a part of. You are the accuser of the brethren, and you accuse them day and night before my throne. You know that scripture? Turn quickly. Revelation twelve ten. Revelation twelve ten. I want you to read this one. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Your day is coming, old oh boy, and it's not long off. That's Revelation twelve seven through nine. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not. And neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. When did that happen? Didn't happen yet. The book of Revelation is future. It hasn't happened yet. No matter what people say. Now let me tell you something about this one you want to send to hell. My father chose that one back in eternity to be an elect soul. That's 2 Timothy 1.9. I said, Father, no way can he make it on his own. I'll take on flesh so I can die for him. I'll take the punishment for his sins so that he can have eternal life. I'll give my life's blood to pay for his soul. The Holy Spirit will give him a new heart and nature and give him a love for the written word. And he'll put a cry in his heart and will indwell that heart when I deliver him. Ephesians 1.13 Everything you said about him is true. But what you don't know is that in my Father's eyes, He's perfect. He is one with us, and I put it down as a matter of public record. Where's that? Well, let's turn to John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Public record? Really? Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word as thou hast loved me. Now who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Where's that found in the Bible? It's in Romans 8, 33. I'll have to look into that country music charge, though. I know he loves those country hymns by Brother Hale, and that's how we're going to close this little Bible lesson today with Brother Hale singing, Mercy bestowed on page 12. Brother Hill. A little yellow songbook, page 12. Mercy bestowed. We'll finish our lesson today.
1: One thing that stood out in all of the years that the Lord has been so merciful to us is that he would have mercy upon such that as I am deserving the depths of hell. And I believe that that's your attitude, too, the Lord showed mercy to you. In the beginning, the Father elected the Son.